everyone. Hope you've had a great week. Thanks for tuning into our podcast and hope it encourages you, inspires you as you go about your week. Here's today's message. We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians here right, right through the year, um, book in our Bibles, and we're, we're going to be in it again this morning. This week, I was reading at the moment just in my own personal reading, Bible reading, I've been going through the book of Acts. Right? And Acts, is, as you probably know, this is the, it's like the story of the early church. Um, and I read this week about when, from, from chapter 18 in Acts, when, when Paul went to Corinth for the first time. And, um, and, and I'd forgotten about this. And you know, I just thought I'd mention that before we even start. When we're talking about this, and we keep talking every week, and I think it's, it's in the notes there again, because I, I read this after I'd written the notes. Um, it's in the notes there again today. Uh, we'll talk about Corinth and the city that it was and where it was, and you know, this young church, three or four years old, and that sort of stuff. Um, but then, if you read in Acts, that's, the, that's actually the story of when Paul went there and started the church. You see what I mean? Um, and, and I'd forgotten that he had a hard time in Corinth. When he was getting this church started, he had all sorts of opposition. And the opposition was not, remember we keep talking about how in Corinth, you know, there's all sorts of people and it's a really, you know, loose moral society and, you know, there's gods of fertility and gods, you know, gods of sexual love that are worshipped and all these sorts of things, you know. But the people who were giving him the hassle the whole way along were actually the religious people. It was the religious people who a couple of times nearly hounded him out of town. And, um, and so it's always worth knowing, you know, just because we can read the letter now and think, oh, that's good. But it's worth remembering that it was hard work when he started this. It wasn't easy. And it was hard work for quite a while. And then what happened is in the middle of that, and, and I wrote down in my journal here when I read this, it doesn't tell us, uh, number one, it doesn't tell us how, how aware Paul was of, of everything that was happening around him, the opposition. And number two, it also doesn't tell us what, how he felt about it. You know, because he might have he been not too phased by it. We, well, we don't actually know. What we do know is that one night he went to sleep and God took the initiative. And it says in Acts chapter 18, verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, um, in a night vision, some of the uh, translations say, and told him, Paul, don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I'm with you. And no one will harm you because many people here in this city belong to me already. How good's that? Like, does that sound good for you guys? Like, so Paul's in the middle of all sorts of opposition. Um, it doesn't even tell us that he asked for it, but one night God just gives him a dream and says, Hey, Paul, you keep doing it. You're doing a good job, my friend. Hey, it's good, isn't it? Um, well, it was good for me. Um, I, I thought it was good. Um, and. And hopefully good for you too. Let's, let's, let's keep looking at it. 
Have you ever had the experience then, because we spoke last week from the first part of chapter 14, right, about this phenomenon which we often call, I mean, the, the technical theological term that we use for it is glossolalia, all right? It's speaking in tongues. And this is this thing that happens when, when people who are Jesus' followers uh, speak in tongues. We spoke last week about all the different sorts of views on this. We reminded ourselves that there's a whole range of views and the views are held by really respected scholars and theologians. And so I encouraged you last week, uh, whatever view you hold about speaking in tongues, just, to, just not to hang on to it too tight and to, and to be convinced that your view is the right view. Because it may be, but it also may not be, and there might be some other views that we're not even aware of. Okay, so that's what I encouraged you last week. Um, and speaking in tongues, it can be, you know, like um, we, we said last week, some Christians would tell you, yeah, that the Holy Spirit does let Christians speak in tongues, but those tongues will always be known languages. So he could empower me to speak, you know, French or Russian or, you know, whatever it would be like. So he'd be empowering me to speak a known language, and then others would say, no, 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 they're not known languages, they're unknown languages. Um, and we talked about prayer languages and people languages and public versus private. And, and remember, there's, there are views too, um, and I'm not totally sure, I think we'd have people in our church here who would hold a, what we call a cessationist view, and that is, well, there's no such thing as tongues today. Okay, so just a whole lot of views. So we're back into it this morning in the second part, second half of chapter 14, and as we look at it, I wonder if you've had the experience that I have, because um, I've, I've done a fair bit of tertiary study. I don't remember this happening so much in high school, but a fair bit of tertiary study, and the amount of times over the years that I've sat in a class uh, at La Trobe University, um, at Melbourne University, and at the... Uh, the Bible College of Victoria, which is now the Melbourne School of Theology, times I've sat in a class. And I'm not being modest, I'm not being humble, and I'm not trying to make you laugh. Honestly, the lecturer may as well have been speaking Martian. Like, I, I, I just had no idea. And I, like, when I say no idea, you think I'm exaggerating, don't you? I mean no idea. Absolutely no idea what he or she was speaking about. I remember doing a law subject at, um, at La Trobe Uni and had this, this lecturer, I can't even remember her name now, and I've forgotten what the, what the subject was actually called. <laughs> you know, like I was throwing out my notes, I <laughs> didn't keep them. Um, and it was something about the philosophy of law. I'm like, I'm studying law here. And, and the philosophy of law, and, and I remember the phrase that she would use every lecture about the, dis, the, the discursive manoeuvre. You know? You, you know about discursive manoeuvres? Yeah. Um, so the amount of times, you know, I just felt like, like I don't get anything that's going on here. And then sometimes you'd think, well, the lecturer 
But sometimes then you listen to some of your fellow students and they start asking questions. This will particularly happen if you've, some people who have studied at theological institutions, it'll particularly happen in a, like, theological institution is a broad range of, of subjects, right? But if you're studying theology, all right, so theologic, like a theology subject, that's where it'll particularly happen, you know, because theology gets into a fair bit of, it's the study of God. And so it can get into a bit of the philosophy of God as well. And like, friends, it's not just the lecturer. I'm listening to people ask questions. I'm like, I don't even understand the question. Like, I don't even understand what it is that they're asking the answer to, let alone the answer. You know the feeling when we just don't get it? We said last week that when Paul is speaking here about tongues, and, and, and we made the distinction to make sure we're not saying here, oh, tongues is not important. He's really talking about other things, and tongues is just this little example. We're not saying that. But nor are we saying that the most important thing he's speaking about in chapter 14 is speaking in tongues. It's neither. He's speaking to them about the way, remember we said, we said this last week, he's speaking to them about the way that their church operates. And he's using speaking in tongues as his main example here of what he's saying. Understand what I mean? Like th- this, is, this is quite different. This is quite different to it either being like a, a bit of a nothing point or a major point. And it's not either. He's speaking as his example of what he's talking about. Um, I, and I said to you last week, I just confessed to you, I, I do not have solid answers on all of this yet. Um, uh, quite a few issues to do with, with faith in Jesus. The older I get, the more questions I've got. Um, the less things I feel, and the more I'm aware of how much I do not know. I, I, I would say I become more aware of that every day. And so one of those things, speaking in tongues, and then also other, other gifts like prophecy and um, the relationship between the two of them. Um, now, the best I can tell, I'm, I'm fairly, a fairly genuine guy in my desire to know the truth. I want to know God's truth and I want to practice it no matter what. Um, so it's not so much, I don't know if you find this, it's not so much a matter of am I going to be obedient um, to what he's asking me to do or am I going to cooperate with what he's asking me to do. It's more knowing what he's asking me to do. You get the dilemma? Um, so... I'm still looking and reading and studying and listening and I really want to learn, but I just, when we're talking about this in church, I don't want you to feel like I'm standing here like, like I have a handle on this. I don't feel like I, I do. And yet, I've been in many, many meetings or churches, as I said last week, church services and meetings, and there's been lots of speaking in tongues and I haven't known what to make of it um, because no matter what I said or did, it wasn't like it wasn't working for me. And I've been prayed for, and I've been prayed over, and I've had hands laid on me. And I told you last week, I've asked, and I still continue to ask, that, that, that I would love to speak in tongues. Um, and I know people who I totally respect and trust, and they routinely speak in tongues. Um, and I know others who I totally respect and trust who have never spoken in tongues and who don't speak in tongues now. Um, I've had prophecies given to me. You know when someone gives you a prophetic sort of word, if you've experienced that. I've had prophecies given to me and made over me, and some of them have proven true. Some of them, some of them have actually proven over the course of time just untrue. And some of them, like, 
and not a bone of cynicism in there, but like I've known at the time, there's no way this is true. Like, like if this person knew what he or she was saying now, they're, they're, they're saying this about me or interpreting this about what I did or said or something like that. Like, it's just factually wrong. Now, I, I, I don't tell them. I just let them say it. But like, it's like, it's, this is not God's prophecy. I can tell you right now. It's just not right. So that's, that's my experience. It's not straightforward. Now, I wonder if you ever felt confused around these sorts of things. I've had lots of conversations with people who do. Or maybe you're not confused. Maybe, maybe you are totally confident here this morning that you've got the truth and you don't need to know anymore. But don't you think there are some pretty confusing things in life that we come across? I mean, maybe you're here this morning and you're not all that mystified or even concerned or worried about speaking in tongues or prophecy. Like, they're not even on the radar for you. But it's something else. Some other issue that, that you don't get. You can't work out. Um, you, you just, you're just trying to understand. And so like, it might even be something like, hey, so we're here, and, and we call this now, like we say, we've all come to church this morning, haven't we? This afternoon, what did you do this morning? I went to church. So this thing called church. Like, why are we here? Like, right now. What's God got to say about it? You see, there are all sorts of confusing questions in life. Little Leroy, Leroy his name was, he went to his mum and he was, in the way the kids do, he was demanding a new bicycle. And his mother saw it as an opportunity to get him to look at himself and the way he acted because he wasn't the best behaved little kid. So she said, well, Leroy, it's not Christmas yet. And we don't have the money to just go out and buy anything you want. So why don't, Leroy, why don't you write to Jesus and tell him what you want and ask him if he'd give you one? So Leroy had the obligatory temper tantrum. <laughs> his mum sent him to his room because of the temper tantrum. And then he finally sat down to write a letter to Jesus. And here's what he wrote. He said, dear Jesus, I've been a good boy this year and I would appreciate a new bicycle. Your friend, Leroy. I went to say Levi then. <laughs> Your friend, Levi. I've got a son called Levi. Um, <laughs> your friend, Leroy. He sat and thought, though, and he knew that Jesus knew what kind of boy he really was. He was a brat. So he ripped the letter up and thought he'd start again. Dear Jesus, I've been an okay boy this year, and I would love a new bicycle. Yours truly, Leroy. But then as he reflected, he knew that that wasn't totally honest either. So he tore that up and thought he'd start again. Dear Jesus, I've thought about being a good boy this year. <laughs> and can I have a bicycle? Leroy. And then Leroy looked deep down into his heart, which was exactly what his mum wanted to happen. And he crumpled up the letter, he threw it in the rubbish bin, and he went running outside. Poor Leroy is depressed because of the way that he treated his parents and he is really considering his actions now and he's wandering aimlessly about. And finally, he finds himself in front of a Catholic church. And so he goes inside and he does what he thinks you should do and he kneels down looks around, he doesn't really know what he should do. And then finally he gets up and he just begins to walk out the door and 
Then he looks up and there's a statue in the foyer. And all of a sudden you see Leroy, Leroy, and he looks this way and looks that. And then he goes and he grabs the statue and runs out of the church with it. <laughs> Takes home, he hides the statue under his bed. And then he writes another letter. He says, Jesus, I got your mama. If you ever want to see her again, give me a bike. You know who. Church, it's often, it's often a bit of a mess, isn't it, church? Things in church, like here in the church service. Later during the week in our organisation, our structure or the dynamics of this group or that team or that family. Those things, they, they seem to get regularly mixed up and confused. And that's normal. And in case you didn't already know this, if you ask people who are not in the church, they'll often tell you the church is a mess too. So if you've got some questions about the church, especially if you've got some questions about this speaking in tongues, glossolalia, about prophecy, and about how they intersect with the church and, and, and the way the church operates today, then just come with us for a few minutes here. Remember this letter? Let's get a look at that map so you remember where Corinth is. This is the, we're doing this thing, you know, above all, love, and, and here's Corinth right here. Thanks to my fan club down the front. And uh, does anyone remember where Paul is? Because Paul's writing a letter to the church. The church is at Corinth. Can anyone remember on that whole map where Paul is? Thank, oh, Sammy. Sammy the theologian, you know. Uh, anyone else? No one else remembers, do you? I tell you every week, but that's okay. Yeah. He's right there. He's in Ephesus. All right, and he's writing the letter to Corinth. Thanks, Sammy, for telling us. Remember, though, there's a lot of good people in this church at Corinth. It's um, three or four years old. Um, the, the city, it's a bustling port city. It, it has a cosmopolitan culture, heavily influenced by Greek philosophy and also by the Romans. And it's this wildly interesting city. It's like a melting pot. Bit of everything there. And the church there, which Paul started, and we just read about that a few minutes ago, the church that started three or four years earlier, even though it's a goodish church, it's got some problems, and they're problems which need to be addressed. Because from little things, big things grow. And so if these problems are not addressed, at very best, they'll, they'll weaken and distract the church. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario, they will derail and destroy the church. Now, you've heard the problems. We've been here week in, week out, all year. There's, like, remember, there's actually incest happening. There's a, there's a known case of incest that's happening in this church. But people are turning a blind eye to it. There are arguments, and, and, and remember we, we, we talked, there are dissensions or, or factions in the church. There's, there, there's conflict. There, there, there are situations where people in the church are favouring one leader over another. 
Not just he or, well, they're all he's in this case. Um, not just he's my favorite, but he's my favorite and they're not. They're bad. That's what's going on. All sorts of problems and questions and the sorts of things that if they don't get addressed, and Paul's been told about it, remember? They've written him at least one letter and he's also received verbal reports. He tells us. It's from a, it's from a lady named Chloe. Um, Chloe. It's from a lady named Chloe. There you go. Um, it wasn't you, was it, Chloe? No, no. Um, he's received verbal reports and he's gotten at least one letter. And they've not only told him what's happening in the church at Corinth, but they've asked him questions as well. And so now he's writing to them to work those out. Now, their church service, right, the equivalent for them of what we're doing right this moment, that had developed its own set of problems. We've seen that over the last several weeks. A few Sundays ago, Ange Smith, who spoke to us earlier, she's out in kids' church now, she skillfully took us through chapter 12 in this book. Um, and we saw there, if you're here, that, that God's design for the church is that it operates just like a body does. And with a body, every part in the body has got some sort of a job to do. All right, um, And then th there are no parts in the body that don't have a job. In other words, there are no passengers. There are no spectators. All the parts work together, and they work together towards a common goal. That's, his, th th that's what he says in chapter 12. But as we were honest, we knew, we knew, like you hear that, and what Anne said, that, I mean, that's great. We knew, we all know that there were and there are, there are aspects of church life and modern day culture that stack up, and they actually make that body concept quite quite hard to work. It's like, how do you get a group of garden variety, imperfect, broken, weak sinners together and get them to work in harmony as a body? How do you do that? We know there's a whole lot of problems. And so then chapter 13, we know, we, we call that the love chapter in the Bible. And Pastor Adam took us through that a few weeks ago. Chapter 13, where, and if you remember that, what he was saying was, that, and it says at the start of that, hey, you know what, you guys, it doesn't matter if you, if you do speak in tongues. You can speak in the tongues of men and of angels if you want to. But if you don't have love, it's you're like you're a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Rip it up. Forget about it. You can, you can prophesy. You can give your body to be burned at the flames and be a martyr. He goes through all these things that you can do. You, you, can, you can do what you want for God. But if you don't have love, it is worthless. And so as, as Devo said to us then, what happens is God says to us, the motivation for any act that we do in the church, any act of service, the motivation has to be love. And love by its very nature, because it then goes on, it defines it. It doesn't just say it never fails and it never gives up. It does say that. But it says, you know what? It doesn't keep any record of wrongs. It doesn't insist on its own way. It always protects. It always trusts. It always perseveres. It's a tall order. He says, that, that's how you make chapter 12 work, by love. And then in chapter 14, he goes on. And you remember then, we said, and we've said this right from the start. We said it the very first week we ever looked at 1 Corinthians. We said, because we, 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 all, we all want to go to a good church, don't we? 
Like everyone wants to be part of a good church. But we said that a good church is a God church. It's not necessarily or automatically the things that we just say is a good church. Remember, we spoke facetiously about it. What do we say? Where's Sam Gorfine? He'll remember. What are the two things we look for in a church? Where's Sam? He's oh, he's here, but he must be outside. Remember, everyone, everyone remember? We, we sort of said it almost a bit sarcastically or facetiously. What's, what are we, you know, when we're hunting around for churches, what do everyone say they're looking for? Good worship and great preaching. You know, you heard someone say, oh, we're just looking for a church. What are you looking for? Well, we just want someone that's got really good worship and great preaching, you know? Um, and I mean, what do you reckon? Smoke machine? Um, fluorescent lights? We, we, we look for these things that, that make a good church. Coffee before church. But by the way, I think we have a little problem there because I was thinking this morning when we started singing, we're a ghost town in here this morning. What's going on? There's no one here. And I went out and there's more people out there <laughs> than there were in here. All standing around, not just waiting for their coffees, but chatting away. <laughs> Side point. Um, so let's take a look at what he says here now. Just a reminder, as we do, here's our vision. This is the sort of church that, that we, we believe that God wants us to grow towards. And it says here in 2018 and beyond, because what we've done is every five years, and we're just in the process of doing this again now, every five years we've sat down, we've invited input from everyone in the church. And we've worked hard to say, hey, what do we think God wants us to do? And so this was back in 2017. So when we set this vision, this is the sort of church we believe God wants us to grow towards. Look at the way we described it back then. And just remember, like, if, if this is the sort of church you're going to become, like, it's not just going to happen by accident. You've got to make some investment, and not just investment financially, but you've got to make investment like, practically and time-wise. Like, you have to work hard for vision to happen. Look at this. We said we yearn for each one of our people to be growing. And one of the primary ways we do this is through our life groups. We want them to be coming to know Jesus, growing towards maturity in him, knowing, loving, and serving him more authentically. So that one, the word we use to that is growing. Everyone say growing. Growing, growing all right? So that's what we said. Because we don't want that to be mixed up and say, we want to be, be growing. Oh, we want to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger and have more and more people every week. Um, that's not what we're saying. Describe like that. Look at this one. We love being an increasingly multi-ethnic church with people from many different nations in our family. So we declare in that, we actually like that. We love that. We desire all the more of it. And we want to have our multi-ethnicity vitally involved in all aspects of our church, including our leadership. That's the multi-ethnic pillar. Um, you don't get to do that by accident. All right? We, we said we want to be spirit-filled. We long to be a church where the Holy Spirit is given no limitations, where he's free to move in and change us whenever and however he chooses, and where all his gifts operate in complete freedom, spirit-filled. I said that. Look at this one. We acknowledge there are five altogether. Here's the fourth one. We acknowledge that our church does not just exist for us. It's actually our community. 
we're right now, where we gather, we meet, we interact, we're energized by God together, but then we're released into our separate everyday circles so that we can influence them with the love of Jesus. And we're desperate for this recognition and passion to infect all we are and do. So this is not the big deal right now when we're together. It's actually not. We're here to be energized and to learn and to gather together, but it's so that we can go out into our worlds and influence them for Jesus. You get that? This is not the big deal. And we are not the most important person because we're all here already. So we're not the most important person in the plan. All right. Anyway, and then it's outward looking. Anyone want to say, say outward looking? Good, right. And the final one, missional. We decisively aim for our passion for missions to grow all the more so that our giving to missions is always increasing at an astounding rate. So we're giving more dollars and more percent. All right? So we want to, we want to be given more money. Hey, I just thought, Steve Lowe, chair of the board, can I divulge that little good thing out of the budget, Steve? Because it hasn't gone public yet, has it? Can I divulge it, Steve? I can? Give me the thumbs up. Steve, if anything goes wrong here, it's your fault. All right? <laughs> Guess what? In the budget that we're bringing to the church in a few weeks' time, for the first time in Mill Park Baptist Church history, we will go over $100,000 per year that we're going to be giving to missions. How good's that? <laughs> we had a big celebration on that one. Over $100,000 that we're saying we want to get that to missions. All right? So, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm getting distracted by that. Um, Increasing in our standard rate, we send out missionaries, we constantly provide short-term cross-cultural mission exposure opportunities for our people, and we live to know that the good news of Jesus is being taken into all the world. That's our missional vision. So, even though chapter 14 here, back to that, talks about tongues and prophecy, and that is really important and relevant information, it's more. It's much more. When it comes to a church like ours making that vision that we just spoke about, that five-pillared vision, when it comes to making that vision work, it's, it's about a lot more than just tongues and prophecy. We said last week, the big point of this chapter is to say that your church needs to be set up and organized so that people benefit from being there. And especially if you remember, it was from verse 1 in chapter 14. In the message version, Paul said, go after a life of love as if your life depended on it. Because it does. Give yourselves to the gifts that God gives you. So from that, do you remember last week we said, if you want your church to be set up and organized so that people benefit from being there, if you want it, then you need to pursue love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Read with me now. I'll read it to you. And I'm going to read the whole lot this morning. A bit different to the way we normally do it. But I'm going to read the whole lot. Start at verse 26. And I've chosen to read it from the New Revised Standard Version for some reasons which I'll tell you about in a few moments. What should be done then, my friends, Paul says, when you come together, he's talking about the church service, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. 
and each of those in turn and let one interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let them, the, tongue, the people speaking in tongues, let them be silent in church and actually just speak to themselves and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. We spoke about that prophecy last week and it can be foretelling. It can also be forthtelling. So telling the future and forthtelling, declaring the truth. Okay? Um, back to that. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to someone else sitting nearby, let the first person be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is a God not of disorder, but of peace. Now, see there, I put it in yellow. This is, this is why we're reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Um, Jongin, you know what? I, I think I confused you. You can, you can wait just a few minutes. All right. Jongin, I, I've given you terrible instructions this morning, haven't I? You're so diligent, and I'm so hopeless in explaining things. I'm sorry. I'll let you know, Jongin. Thanks. Um, see the yellow bracket? This is what, quick, quick lesson, all right? Um, when, we, when we've got our Bible, you've got your Bible, you've got it on your phone or you've got a hard copy. Um, that's straightforward. It's all written for us. Most of us here, it's written in English. Um, Sammy, yours in, in Arabic, Noah, Korean. Um, we've got friends here who've got it written in Farsi. But for us, most of us, English. Um, let's just talk about the New Testament for a moment. Um, that was written in the Koine Greek language. All right? um, Koine Greek is, is a written language, it's not a spoken language. And then back in the day, they didn't have any printing presses. And so what they would do is, uh, the, the, the first part that was written was written down by a scribe. And they didn't have paper and pens, they had papyrus, you know, and, and, um, and so they would write on the papyrus and then what they do is they say, look, we need to get copies of this for a whole lot of other people. So what we'll do is, um, we, we, but like we don't have a printing press or a photocopier. So they would literally just, the scribes would literally, and they'd be paid to do this, they'd literally just copy it down. And sometimes you'd have three or four scribes sitting around and they'd all be copying from the master copy together. But if you've got people who are scribing and writing that sort of thing down, there are going to be variations. And there are some variations. Shock horror, it might be... Worried to hear that? There are some variations. And so what we do when we, when we do what we call textual criticism is we, we, we look at the manuscripts that have been used to write that and there are some manuscripts that for a whole lot of reasons, which we really would hassle you to, if I tried to explain all of that to you, there are some manuscripts which are much more reliable than others. But there's a whole lot of manuscripts. Um, and so sometimes what we have to do and this is an example of it, is we have to look at the manuscripts and it's not conclusive. It's not actually conclusive what is exactly the right word wording. And sometimes actually the word themselves will differ, the actual, the actual word or the tense of the word. And so what we have to do then when we're, in, when we're translating the Bible is we have to look at, well, what's the most reliable way we can, we, we can look at this? 
So if you look at your Bible, I don't know what version you've got. I chose the New Revised Standard Version because I, I personally think this is the best one for the way, for the way that this is translated. Um, it's got a bracket there. But I'll bet you there's someone here whose bracket starts at verse... Anyone's bracket started... The, started or anyone not even got a bracket? In the, you haven't got your Bibles here, have you? All right, so Dave and Anna, you guys haven't even got a bracket at all. Has anyone got a bracket that starts at verse 34? Come on, there'll be someone. You guys just haven't got Bibles here. That's why you haven't got brackets, isn't it? Um, you have a look later. This is what... Okay, so this leads us to some confusion about exactly what's being said here. All right, let's get back to it. Um, for, as in all the churches of the saints, women should be silent in the churches. For they're not permitted to speak, but they should be subordinate, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only ones it has reached? And see now, the brackets close. All right. Anyone who claims to be a prophet or to have spiritual powers, must acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is a command of the Lord. Anyone who does not recognise this is not to be recognised. So, my friends, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Um, let's take a skate through what's just been said there. Firstly, he's saying that a maximum of three people, and he says one at a time, should speak in tongues in the Corinthian church service. Maximum of three and, and one at a time. Um, and that's in verse 27. And given what we saw in verses 1 to 25, if you're here last week, and if not, you can listen to the podcast, that actually makes sense, doesn't it? Because he says, I don't want you to make this a free-for-all. And, and, and I don't want you to do it so that no matter how beautiful and intimate and, and special it feels for you if you're speaking in tongues, and even if you're one who's just listening to the speaking in tongues and you feel like it's okay, I don't want you to do it in such a way that it's off-putting for someone else who's going to walk into your church service. And it leaves them feeling like an outsider or they're not quite special enough. All those people can speak in tongues, but I can't. And what he says is that, like, that's taboo. We, we do not want that to happen. Then he says, if anyone's going to speak in tongues publicly, there has to be an interpreter. And if not, those tongues should be kept private. I told you about uh, lots of meetings that I've been in. Deb and I were in one just recently where there was a lot of speaking in tongues, like lots and lots and lots. And there, in fact, there was much more, wasn't there, Deb? There was much more speaking in tongues than there wasn't like the speaking in English. And, and there was no interpretation of it at all. And, and I have no idea what was said. And it went like, it, it was long too, like it was a, two hours that it went for. Um, and so... Like, I, I didn't understand. Um, and, you know, like, the chances of actually picking that up, the chances of being there and hearing someone speak in a tongue, if there's no one that's interpreting that for you, chances are low. Speaking of chances, you know, yesterday, um, I went to and, and conducted two weddings. Uh, the first one was in the morning. It was for Hannah, our friends Hannah and Michael, who are from the church here. And... Um, and at, at Ballara receptions in, in Eltham. I didn't know many people there because they're both from the country, you know. Um, didn't know many people there. Dave and Anna were there because um, they, know, they know them and um, uh, no one else that you guys would know. And then went from there to, um, to Fitzroy yesterday afternoon and this was for, some of you guys will know Lucas. Um, so Beck 
you know, Rocky and Vivian's son, Lucas, and, and Beck, who works in our office, it's her brother. Um, but, but Lucas, lovely guy, like, like he's not associated with our church. These two couples, like, they're completely random. Like, they, they would have no connection with each other whatsoever. And I don't know, I haven't got statistics for how many weddings happen in Melbourne on a Saturday, but I imagine there's a fair few. <laughs> anyway, so then I conduct the second wedding, and then just after the wedding, Deb and I are there, and this couple comes up and says, oh, hey, she goes, hey, did you do a wedding in Eltham this morning? And I'm like, yeah. yeah. And she said, yeah, I thought you did. We were there. <laughs> And there's this couple, I, we should have got a photo and got their names, Deborah. Like, I, I should have done that, but I didn't think, they were, what's the chances? Like, how on earth could you possibly have two people who are just 100% disconnected and across all the weddings that happen in the city of Melbourne on that day, they're at the same two? There's no chance of that, is there? Probably about how much chance you got. Like if you're sitting there and, and there's all this speaking in tongues that's going on, remember we're not denigrating it at all or saying that there's anything wrong with it. Paul said, I wish you would all speak in tongues. But if it's happening like that, it's like we don't understand you like I was in my university class. So anyway, let's keep moving. Two or three prophets or preachers, he says, should speak in the Corinthian service. And then he says, by the way, we don't just listen and accept the prophecy either. Uh, in other words, you don't just, because the preacher says something, you don't say, oh, okay, I'll do exactly what the preacher says. No, no, he says, um, let the others weigh what is said. That's what he says in verse 29. In other words, you test it and you check it and you, you weigh it and that means to discern it or to evaluate it and it also means to listen carefully to it. And how do you weigh it? Is it like, do you weigh it by whether you like it or not? Do you weigh it by whether it feels good or not? Do you even weigh it by whether it's helpful to you or not? That's not what he has in mind. You weigh it against the truth. Listen, friends, carefully to this. The Holy Spirit will never, but never, but never give some sort of a prophecy that is in any way in contrast with his word. Never. So we have to weigh it against what the Bible says, against the truth. It's not weighed by how we feel about it. That's not what he means. Um, and then why would we do all of this? And jong in, now is the time. So I'm talking about the same verse that I spoke about earlier and I just told her when I speak about that verse, up you come. And so that's exactly what she did, as diligent as can be. Thank you, my friend. So here we go. Why would we do all this? For God is a God not of disorder, but of peace. Or as the message puts it, when we worship the right way, God doesn't stir us up into confusion. He brings us into harmony. And then all of the debate does happen, does happen around what happens in the original text after that. And we talked about the different manuscripts, but so, and often these words are used as a, as a way of teaching to say that women should not speak in church, women should not preach in church, women should not even lead worship in churches. Sometimes that's the way that these verses are used, oftentimes it is, by people who we respect. Right? Now we don't choose to do it that way here, 
our interpretation of it is different as a church. But one way or the other, what we can say, so let's not try and get into all of that today, so much as to say one way or the other what he's saying is there were people who had been boisterous and noisy in church. And in this case, it was women. They'd been undermining their husbands. He says they should keep quiet. Don't be, don't be boisterous and noisy and damaging in church. There are things that, that we can say and do in church and, and they're, they're, not, they're not helpful to anyone. He says don't do that. He says, um, because we need to ensure everything about our church is constructive and helpful. He says it three different times over the verses that we've just read. And he says, all things should be done decently and in order. And, and look at this again. He says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all those things be done for building up. I hope that's helped you a bit this morning. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening. Well, Lord, um, today there's probably more practical information today than, than action points, probably more. We, we just, as people, open ourselves up to you again now and, and just allow you to speak to us, take what we've spoken about now, do what you want to do with us, Holy Spirit, because as we said, we want to be a church where the Holy Spirit's given no limitations. He's free to move in us however and whenever and using whomever he wants. So now we just ask you, Lord, with the words that we've spoken about this morning, would you would you take him? Would you, would you bear fruit from these words in, in our lives and in our church? And we trust you for that. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, guys.